Good morning, church. Say good morning. Are you guys awake this morning? It's almost afternoon. The bacon smell didn't get you this morning. I don't know what will, right? Well, we want to welcome you. If you haven't been the last couple of weeks to our summer of service, we're engaging in a, in a, in a vision of trying to accomplish 10,000 hours of service this summer. And that's not really about the task as much as the people that we look forward to engaging and getting to know from our community. And I, I, I tell you what, there's already been over a thousand hours just logged in the first two weeks. Um, and I know there's more that's been done that you guys haven't had a chance yet to go online and, and, uh, and to count those hours. Please go, go on there. You'll notice a banner on the front of the website and a place to log those hours. We want stories too uh, about what God's doing through the service that we provide. Last week I talked about Luke chapter 10 and try to remind us of really the call of Scripture, which is sometimes different than how we've seen our, our mission, mission in our service. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72, and he, he calls us, them to some radical things. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. I don't want you to be prepared. Go without purse bag or sandals. And, uh, and instead of being the host, I want you to find yourself uh, receiving the hospitality of others that receive you into their homes. So a different look. And this morning, I want to take another different look. I want to challenge again our, our views of mission and service. And I want to do that by looking at Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew 25. Uh, put a finger there, and then I want you to go to Matthew 7, actually, as we start. And I want to remind us of Jesus' words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that our, you know, our theme this summer, as we move into summer of service, is that we want to have awareness about what God's doing in the world and the needs that are out there, but we also want to take action. And at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says some words that I want to remind us about because I think it's vital for us to be aware of the needs but also to take action along those lines. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, so what he's saying now is in response to all the things he said in the Sermon on the Mount, because of these things, therefore, this is how he, he closes, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Do you notice the difference between the wise and the foolish in this story? It's not that the wise are the ones who hear Jesus' words and the foolish are the ones who don't ever hear his words. The wise are the ones who hear Jesus' words and do something about it put into practice the commands that God has given us. I think it aligns exactly with what we're trying to say in this series is, it's great to become aware of needs, but it's another thing to take practice. It's another thing to, to take care of those needs and to see God at work in the world. And that's the call this week in Impact Week, and we'll talk more about that uh, in a little bit. Let's pray as we open uh, God's, God's Word this morning. God, I, I invite you, as we've invited you already into this space, because we know we will not be changed without your Spirit bringing that change. So God, we know where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom, and we long for more freedom, God. So this morning, God, as we look at, at your story, as we look at Jesus' words, I pray that you would convict our hearts and you would lead our mission and our service to come right from the heart of who you are and who you call us to be, that we might make an impact in, in our community. We might be impacted as well. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus told a story in Matthew 25 that I want to open with 
uh, this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. I want to start reading in verse 31. Jesus uh, says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, traditionally I haven't viewed this and seen this text as harshly as it sounds, but it's a hard word, isn't it? seems to be a word about eternal judgment based on uh, our ability and our willingness to care for those who are in need. Now, the way we've often preached the gospel has been uh, really pushing away from works to see the grace of God. That's Ephesians 2, right? It's by grace you've been saved. But what does it say in verse 10 following that? To do the good works that God has prepared for you in advance to do. There's this tension in the gospel, isn't there? It's the grace of God. There's nothing we can do to merit our own salvation. But because we have been saved, we live a kind of life. And this passage seems to say, if you don't live into that kind of life, there's threat there. And I don't like to think about that. And most of the invitations I've given have been about salvation, offering people a chance to receive Jesus, to be baptized into his name. And that's good news, right? That we can receive the grace and mercy of God. That's the invitation that I've often heard and I've given. I'm going to keep giving that because I think that's something Jesus calls us to do, to step in obedience with him. But I didn't realize that this week, as we're offering an invitation to Impact Serve Week, it may just be an invitation to eternal life. So if you need no other reason to serve an Impact Week this week, go and do it so your salvation is not in jeopardy. Okay, I'm saying that a little harsher than what I I mean, right? But this is an invitation into life. This is an invitation into salvation. And everyone in this story is surprised, aren't they? The people who serve Jesus don't know that they serve Jesus until Jesus says, You've done what's right. You served me in the midst of serving those who didn't have enough. And there's also surprise on the other end because these people, I'm sure, were good-hearted people that if they had known that Jesus was was in the midst of the needy people they were going to serve, they would have gone and they would have done that service. But he says, you didn't do it, and so you didn't do it for me. They're surprised all throughout this story because nobody expected Jesus to be 
where he was. The theme of surprise. Everyone's surprised. And as we enter Impact Week this week, I want us to come into this week aware of that surprise. Aware that we might not see all there is to see yet. That the service we'll do is not just so that we can bring the good news to Jesus, but the service we give may just be an opportunity for us to see parts of who God is that we haven't yet seen. According to Jesus, in your service to the least of these, we should not be surprised to meet Jesus with the new friends that we will meet. And if you really believe that, it'll transform everything in your life, won't it? Jesus might just be around the next corner if you're there to see and serve. And we need a transformation of the way we engage in mission. Because if I'm honest, there have been some really bad mission efforts over the years. I've been involved in some really bad missions efforts. And those bad mission efforts are usually the result of me bringing a phrase and an idea that I'm the one who's going to bring Jesus to those people. You ever said that phrase before? We're going to take Jesus to these people? I've probably used that phrase before, and and yet as I read Matthew 25, I'm realizing I had it completely backwards. Because that's not really what we do in our mission. What's the assumptions behind a statement like that? Well, Well, first... We're the ones who are in possession of Jesus, right? If we're going to take Jesus to someone, then we've got to say that we have him. Second, Jesus doesn't show up on the scene until we show up. It's like he hadn't been around until all of a sudden we had this gracious mission effort. And third, we have nothing to learn and everything to offer in that kind of mission and service. And there are many examples in church history of missions that looked more like colonialism than it looked like passing off the kingdom of God. And it comes as a result of thinking that we've got everything to offer and we've got nothing to do as students learning the culture that we're walking into. We have what they need. They're savages who are uncivilized that need our civilization. In other words, we have nothing to learn and everything to give in the relationship. Let me take a moment to to challenge each one of those assumptions because I think they need challenging. First, We are the ones in possession of Jesus. No, we're not in possession of Jesus. We don't take Jesus anywhere. Because Jesus is already everywhere we intend to take him. He was the firstborn before all creation, Colossians 1 says. Jesus is there at the very start. And we tend to think of space as secular space and, and, and spiritual space. But that's not the reality, is it? God has already pervaded all of the earth. And yes, it needs to be affirmed that Jesus is the source of the truth and life that comes in those new areas. And there are people that haven't yet you know, heard and received that message. I'm not saying there isn't a message to bring, but to pretend as if Jesus isn't already there is to mistake what the kingdom of God is all about. Jesus is already in possession of the whole earth. He is not in the possession of Christians. It's the opposite, isn't it? When we're at our best, we're not in possession of Jesus. Jesus possesses us. He has us, right? We're his servants. It's actually the opposite way of what we've talked about it at times. So Jesus doesn't stay in the safe places we want to put him. He, he doesn't stay in church. In fact, most of the Gospels is written about Jesus outside of the synagogue, outside of the temple. And every Saturday, he seems to come together on the Sabbath to, to worship at the synagogue. But most of the Gospels are stories about what happens outside of that when he leaves and he brings his message to the world about the kingdom of God that's breaking in to the world. So the Pharisees were the ones who were trying to keep God in a box. 
They were the ones who thought they could confine God in some way and, and take him other places. But Jesus breaks through all of those expectations because we don't possess Jesus at our best. We're possessed by him. The second assumption, Jesus doesn't show up on the scene until we show up. Like I said, there may be people who haven't heard the name of Jesus, but Jesus already is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work trying to bring the world to a knowledge of him. It's not that we take Jesus anywhere. In Matthew 25, where is Jesus found? It's not with those who are doing the serving. Jesus is found amongst those who are being served. Jesus is already at work in those places. And the surprise is we, we don't have as much as we thought we did. We're actually going to discover Jesus in new ways. This, this week I was talking with Caleb Beck, one of our missionaries from Rwanda, and he shared with me a, an image that really stuck with me as I was thinking about Matthew 25. If you show that picture right now, it's the picture, a, a statue of a man who uh, is on a, on a bench, a homeless man, it seems, uh, in this uh, sculpture. A sight that more and more cities do their best to ensure respectable citizens never have to see. But if you look closely at the feet of this man, you'll notice some wounds on his feet. What's the sculptor trying to depict? I think he's trying to remind us of Matthew 25. That the very people we try to remove from our sight in our cities may just be Jesus that we're removing when we make those kinds of laws. If we have eyes to see and if we have ears to hear, we will not enter into service assuming that we have Jesus to take. We'll enter in with eyes wide open realizing we may just discover Jesus in entirely new ways amongst people that we thought we were bringing a message of hope to. And third, we have nothing to learn and everything to offer is an assumption. And there may not be a more harmful belief to service and missions than that. Because when you assume you're smarter or better than, than anyone you're trying to bring something to, there's no limit to the harm you can do. Because all of a sudden, if, if you're wiser and you're more civilized, then the ends justify pretty much whatever means in the process. But good missionaries are the ones who assume, I don't have something, I have something I can learn in this process. Sometimes we don't even have the questions to ask until we enter in and we get to know the people in a culture and realize that there are questions we haven't asked and they have gifts that we never imagined they would have. I love the story Larry James tells. Larry James launched, uh, was a part of Central Dallas Ministries. Many of you may have served or been involved with that ministry. And that ministry is now called City Square and does incredible work in the city of Dallas. But Larry talks about when he first walked into the food bank that he was coming in, in charge of, trying to figure out how do we engage our community better? You know, uh, he put a, a coffee pot in the center of that place. And, and the people who were working that food bank said to him, don't put, if you put coffee here, these people we're serving might just hang around. We need them to move on so we can continue to give out food. Larry realized there's some work to do to realize what this ministry is about. It's not about the task. It's about the people we're encountering. One day he tells the story of everything that shifted that ministry. He says, I, 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 was, I was working one afternoon about to close things up and I realized there were some People that spoke Spanish, they didn't speak English, and I didn't know how I was going to be able to communicate with them. And I was tired from the day, and there was this woman who had just gotten food, and she was bilingual. She spoke English and Spanish. And, and on that day, as she was walking out the stairs, I just said to her, you know, would you mind staying here and, and helping to translate for me? And he says, it transformed my ministry because I realized these aren't just people we're looking to serve where we have everything to offer but sometimes we take dignity from people rather than allowing them a chance to step in beside us and help as we're trying to help them. And all of a sudden, the tr everything changes in that moment, right? Because these are people not just who have needs. Now they have gifts they can offer that can transform the ministry. And that woman came back for years and years after that, all because of a question 
and a willingness to say, I don't have all there is to have, and you probably have something to offer. And it changed the relationship, and it continues to go on today. Good missionaries not only assume that they don't have the right answers, they don't even know the right questions sometimes. And this is why humility is such an important quality of a servant. You cannot grow and learn unless you have humility. The death nail of any company is to assume that we've got the market share and there's nothing more we have to learn because you stop R&D and the competitors grow past you. And the same is true for individuals. The same is true for churches. The minute we assume that we know exactly how to bring things, and this is why Kodak had to file for Chapter 11 in 2012, right? Because the rest of the industry bypassed them because they stopped seeing that things need to continue to change and shift. And as individuals, the same thing is true for us. Unless we admit that there are things to learn, we will not be able to grow from the people that we encounter. Because when you assume you know everything, you no longer have the humility to keep growing. Which, of course, is the perfect segue to a short lesson on the history of map making. It's not an obvious segue. It's okay. It was an attempt at a joke. Can you give me a little laughter? So many cultures drew on world maps long before the modern age. And perfecting those maps took time. Perfecting maps required an assumption that the way we see the world and what we know, we've not yet discovered all of it. In other words, the best map makers in the world are, are, are the ones who are most humble, who admit they may have more to learn. Um, in many of the early maps, like you can see on screen right now, it's as if like there are no oceans because all of it's been discovered, right? The idea was, psychologically, that we've kind of discovered all there is to discover. The unfamiliar areas, you might leave kind of a monster in to kind of almost scare you off and ward you off from more adventure because we've kind of figured it all out. But in the 15th and 16th centuries, Europeans began to draw world maps in a different way with more space. It was this humility that said, we've got more to discover. And if we would leave those open spaces, maybe we'd have more land to draw. And the crucial turning point in these maps came in 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? Columbus and his crew collided with the unknown continent. But at that time, Columbus still believed in the old, complete world concept of maps. And so what he thought was, I just need to go about 4,375 miles west of Spain, and I'll run into East Asia. But what he didn't realize is there was 12,500 miles and an unknown continent that was standing in his way. And on October 12, 1492, about 2 a.m. in the morning, Columbus and his crew collided with that unknown continent. Juan Rodriguez Mermego, watching from the mast of the Pinta, yelled, land, land. And Columbus believed he'd reached a small island off the coast of East Asia. In fact, he found the people and called them Indians because he thought that this was the East Indies. And Columbus stuck to this error the rest of his life. And why is that? Because he lacked the humility to question his assumptions. And in his refusal to admit his ignorance, Columbus was still a medieval man. He was convinced that he knew the whole world, and even his momentous discovery failed to convince him otherwise. On the other hand, the first modern man when it came to discovery was a guy named Amerigo Vespucci. He was an Italian sailor who took part in several expeditions to the Americas from 1499 to 1504. And Vespucci argued that the new lands discovered by Columbus wasn't the East Indies at all. It was instead an entire unknown continent yet to be discovered by Europeans. 
And in 1507, convinced by these arguments, a respected map maker named Martin Waldseemuller published an updated world map, which is the one you see on the screen. These westward sailing fleets had landed on a separate continent, and having drawn these open spaces, now there was an opportunity to reimagine the landscape of the world. And you know what he named that continent? America. After this guy, Amerigo Vespucci. I love that. Today, a quarter of the world and two of the seven continents are named after a little-known Italian whose sole claim to fame was he admitted, I don't know it all. And there may be more to discover. See, the minute we assume we know everything, there is no, uh, there, there is to know is the moment that we stop growing. It's the moment that growth stops. And this is true when it comes to religion. It's true in every facet of our lives. The minute we think there's everything that we have to know, and we're just going to push that on other people, you're in the danger zone because you can no longer receive what God wants to give to you. Matthew 25 is a story of new maps being drawn. It's a story of surprise for all of the characters that are involved in that story. The people who are righteous don't know how righteous that they are, and they didn't know that they contacted Jesus through their service. The same thing is true in our own lives. Those who have served had no idea who they were serving, and those who chose not to serve, they didn't know they'd come in touch with Jesus. And if you follow God into service and mission with eyes wide open, you'll be shocked at what you discover. But only if you're open to learning and growing. So this week as we enter our community to serve during Impact Week and other services that this church will engage this summer, I want to encourage you to open your eyes up. I want to help you imagine as if you see the world in a certain way, but open it up and draw a different map where you're going to discover new continents you've never discovered before. And the very people who are going to teach you to see Jesus more clearly are the very people that you're going to knock on doors to see and you're going to slide down slides with in a couple of days. I want to encourage you to become a learner, to be an observer, to look more closely than what the eye sees because Jesus in Matthew 25 is more likely found amongst those we serve than the ones who do the service. And that is a groundbreaking thought, isn't it? So this week, it's not us who's taking Jesus anywhere. We're going to speak his name and we're going to boldly proclaim the truth of the kingdom of God. But what we're going to discover in the process is a picture of Jesus we've never seen before.